Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today is January 25th. And today we're going to look at Genesis 25. As a reminder, every day I read from one chapter of the Bible, and then I briefly explain uh, key ideas, themes, and theology very briefly. Uh, the goal of this show is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes, and I know what you're thinking. Sometimes I'm successful, and sometimes I'm not, and we go about 30 minutes. But either way, uh, let's get into our reading today from Genesis 25. Let's take a look at what Genesis 25 has to say to us from God's Word. Here's what the Lord has to say to us from Genesis 25. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokasan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jehoshakan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurian, Lucium, and Lumium. The sons of Midian were Ephar, Ephor, Hanak, Abadai, and Elada. All these were children of Keturah. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the fields of Ephraim, the sons of Zoar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son. And Isaac settled at Beer Lahoi Leroy. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Neoboth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Abedil, Mizban, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jitur, Napish, and Kedima. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names, by their villages and their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, a hundred and thirty-seven years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over and against all his kinsmen. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Arminian of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Arminian, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together with her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in the womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, and so they called his name Esau. 
Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And once Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. Well, this is the reading from God's Word today from Genesis 25. Now, in verses 1 through 11 of this chapter, we see the death of Abraham. These verses, they form the final part of the narrative that started with about Abraham in Genesis 11:27. Now, to complete this major section of Genesis, some additional information is provided here about Abraham, concluding with the report of his death and burial, the details of which are of secondary importance but are included are included, I mean, for completeness of his story. In the first four verses of this chapter, we see that Abraham took another wife. Now, only minimum information is given regarding Abraham's relationship with Keturah. Like Hagar, she has the status of a concubine. And no indication here is given as to when this relationship was established. It possibly existed before the death of Sarah, but this remains uncertain and is just a matter of speculation. Yet, reflecting the culture of this ancient Near East, it was not unknown for men to take second wives, but this was usually an action of those who were wealthy. The precise status of the second wife varied depending on the nature of the relationship. She might be the maidservant of the first wife. Now, verses 5 through 6, what they do is they highlight Isaac's position as Abraham's main heir by explaining that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. And, and second, the sons of Abraham's concubines were sent away. Now, concubines possibly refers to Hagar and Keturah, who are both Abraham's children, although neither woman shares the status of Sarah, Abraham's first wife. The term concubine may give the impression that no formal relationship existed between Abraham and these women. And yet, since their sons are publicly recognized as Abraham's children, some type of formal relationship existed. We see this in Judges 19.9. The father of a man's concubine is designated as his father-in-law, suggesting that a form of marriage has taken place between the man and the woman. But the sons of Hagar and Keturah are clearly distinguished from Isaac. In verses 12 through 18, we see the genealogy of Ishmael. Before proceeding to recount in detail the events associated with Isaac's immediate family, a search section is devoted to naming the twelve sons of Ishmael who became chieftains of the tribes in Arabia. The information confirms God's promise in Genesis 17.20 and is here fulfilled. Now, in Genesis 25.19-37.1, we discover Isaac's descendants. 
And this new heading identifies the by the expression, these are the generation, and introduces the next main section of Genesis. And while these chapters, they focus on the immediate family of Isaac, special attention here is given to Jacob because the unique family line of Genesis is continued through him. This section of Genesis has been skillfully composed throughout the use of particular themes and through the structural arrangement of the material into a a mirror image pattern. In verses 19 through 26, we discover the birth of Esau and Jacob. And now this section, it plays an important role by introducing Isaac and Rebekah's twin sons who become the central characters in Genesis 25 through Genesis 36. And significantly, the account of their birth anticipates the future development of the story. In verse 20, we see the repeated use of the term Arminian and the designation of their dwelling place as Paddan Aram, meaning the plain of Aram, indicating that Abraham's family was considered to be Arminians. In Deuteronomy 26.5, a patriarch, more likely Jacob than Abraham, is described as a wandering Arminian. Verse 21, like Sarah, Rebekah is also barren. And yet the Lord responds to Isaac's prayer and Rebekah conceives. Verses 22 through 23. The observation that the children struggled together with her introduces one of the main themes of Genesis 25 through 36. And the relationship between the twin boys will be largely hostile. Conflict between brothers is a recurring motif in Genesis, beginning with Cain and Abel, and is a constant reminder of the negative impact of the fall on human existence. And yet the divine revelation that the older shall serve the younger, it prepares a reader to expect that Jacob will have a significant role to play in the development of the unique family line in Genesis. Normally, though, younger brothers were subservient to the firstborn male who enjoyed special privileges associated with their being born first. Verse 26, holding Esau's heel, and so his name was called Jacob. And the name Jacob not only resembles the Hebrew term for heel, but also for deceiver. To grasp somebody by the heel was a figure of speech meaning to deceive. The motif of deception It appears in a number of episodes associated with Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old. The twins were born 15 years before the death of Abraham, which is recorded in Genesis uh, 25, 7 through 8 in this chapter. Now, occasionally in Genesis, for specific reasons, some events are narrated out of of chronological order as, as recorded here. Verses 27 through 34. Esau sells his birthright. This episode, it centers on Esau's dismissive attitude towards his birthright. And while Jacob may be criticized for exploiting his brother in a moment of weakness, Esau is indifferent towards his firstborn status. He does not grasp the significance of all that God has promised to fulfill through the unique line descended from Abraham of which he is a natural heir. Verses 27 through 28. Now, the contrast between Esau and Jacob is reflected in their personalities. The outdoor-oriented Esau is loved by his father where the quiet, domesticated nature of Jacob makes him his mother's favorite. Verse 30, in Hebrew, the name Edom is similar to the word red. In verses 31 through 32, 
Well, in the Nuzi text from the 15th century BC in Mesopotamia, these texts give evidence for the transferable birthrights, mentioning one particular case in which a man sells his birthright for a sheep. Well, verse 34. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau was contemptuous of his... Of his let me start over there. Verse 34. <clears throat> let me start over again. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So what we see here is Esau was contemptuous of his special firstborn status. On the basis of Hebrews 12:16, this describes Esau as unholy. Esau did not appreciate that his birthright was linked to the plan of God uh, to redeem the whole world. Now, in the parable of the mustard seed in Mark 4, 30-32 and other similar teachings, what the Lord Jesus reveals is that the kingdom of God is not something that comes in its fullness all at once. Instead, it starts small like a seed, and it slowly grows to shelter all those who seek refuge in Christ alone. Abraham's life helps us understand how such words have been fulfilled in history. Here is a man who was given grand promises of a kingdom that will occupy a great land and have innumerable children, as we see in Genesis 17, 1-8. And yet, at his death, all Abraham could point to as proof of God's faithfulness was one son of promise and one grandson to be his heir, since he did not actually die until after Jacob and Esau were born. Now, this tiny beginning, however, proves that the church's birth and life does come from heaven. John Calvin comments, For this small and contemptible origin, these slow and feeble advances render more illustrious that increase which afterwards follows beyond all hope and expectation to teach us that the church was produced and increased by divine power and grace and not by merely natural means. Now, the birth of, of Jacob and Esau in this chapter, it shows us that the Lord's prophecy about them will be realized as we see in verse 23. The slow advance of the promised line will produce the great kingdom promised to Abraham. Esau is born first and is older by a matter of moments. He is red, but it's not clear whether this hue comes from his hair color or his skin pigmentation. As a firstborn, Esau should be the one to inherit the favored status. And yet it is immediately plain this is not going to happen because the Lord says so. His younger brother is grasping for Esau's heel, jockeying for the better position. And so he's named Jacob, which is related to the Hebrew word for heel, and meant, may God be your rear guard. The circumstances of the twins' birth set the stage for the Creator's word to come true. The conflict begun in the womb will clearly continue with Jacob, uh, the ordained winner. Now, Jacob's victory was predestined long before he could do anything. And so, too, has the Lord graciously chosen to save his people and to give them triumph over the serpent, as we learned from Genesis 3.15, and as we'll see in Romans 9, 1-29, and Romans 16.20. And yet, be reminded today that if you are in Christ, God knew you from the foundation of the world, and he chose you to set his effectual love on you. That is to say, when we fear we have fallen too far, we need to be reminded of the great love that first brought us to Jesus, and even now will restore us upon repentance, no matter the gravity of our sin. Well, as we continue on, having provided us with Abraham's last will and testament in Genesis 24, Moses he tells us about Abraham's death in chapter 25. And yet, before he dies, we read of another wife he took in verse 1. 
And since we learned that Keturah was the patriarch's concubine in First Chronicles 132, or secondary wife, most commentators think he married her while Sarah was still alive, much as he wed Hagar in Genesis 16. The many sons of Abraham and Keturah further prove that the Lord has fulfilled his promise to make the patriarch the father of many nations, as we learn in Genesis 12, 1-3. Midian is the most significant of Abraham's sons by Keturah, and so he, as his descendants later play an important role in the life of Moses, as we'll see in Exodus 2, 11-22 and Exodus 2, 18. Now, Abraham divides his estate among his sons before he dies. Now, tradition does not mandate that he give anything to anyone else besides his primary heir. But Abraham provides gifts to all of his sons, as we see in verse 6 of our chapter today. Since men of God are to support their families, as we see in 1 Timothy 5.8. Isaac gets a lion's share of Abraham's wealth in verse 5, because he inherits the promise of land and seed. And yet Abraham does not let God's oath to bless Isaac make him passive in the unfolding of the Lord's plan. Instead, he, he acts to continue the work of redemption through his family after he dies, ensuring that his sons will inherit the promised land by giving all that he had to Isaac, especially Machbo, the one piece of Canaan, uh, Canaan Abraham owned before he died. True, the success or failure of God's plan does not rest finally upon any one of us. And yet all of those redeemed by God's grace know that God typically works out his will through his people and they act to make sure kingdom work goes on after they die. We need to say that old age is a blessing for the righteous, not a curse, as we see in Proverbs 16.31. Others lived longer lives for sure, but Abraham, as the church father Jerome point out, is the first man explicitly said to reach old age in scripture, and this is a good thing, as Genesis 25, 8 says. Abraham is called, according to Jerome, an old man because his old age had been anointed with rich oil. His was a good old age because it was a day, it was an age full of days. For his whole, for the whole of his life, let me just say this again. Abraham is called an old man because his old age had been anointed with rich oil. His was a good old age because it was full of days, for the whole of his life was day and not night, Jerome says. Our culture is present, presently obsessed with youth, but those righteous people who reach an old age are blessed indeed, for they have the benefit of seeing many instances of the good work of God in this world. They have also seen his forgiveness time and time again and can wisely advise others. If you have reached a good old age, know that the Lord still desires to use you to further his plans, especially through prayer and counseling other people. Those who are young, treat your elders with respect. Now, the record of Ishmael's offspring concludes the first half of Genesis 25. And so here what we see is the Lord has truly been true to his promises to Abraham and Hagar. As God predicted in Genesis 16, 7 through 12, and Genesis 17, 20, and Genesis 21, 13, the Egyptian sons fathered 12 princes who grew into a great nation, settling over and against all his kinsmen, as you see in Genesis uh, 25, 12 through 18. And as Moses began the generations of Isaac in this chapter, we find the Creator's pledge to multiply the promised heir as yet unfulfilled. Undoubtedly, the Abraham, Abrahamic promises of salvation, life, land, and descendants rest upon Isaac's shoulders. 
And so Moses again mentions that Abraham fathered Isaac to remind us that he is the covenant heir. But Rebekah is also barren, and no son is apparently forthcoming from Isaac. Now, Isaac does what all believers must do when facing a desperate situation. He prays to his Father in heaven, and his prayer is remarkable both for its intensity and its duration. The Hebrew for Isaac's intercession, Athar, is the same word Pharaoh uses when he begs Moses to entreat Yahweh to stop sending the plagues to Egypt in Exodus 8.8. Isaac also likely offered costly sacrifices as he prayed uh, since Zephaniah 3.10 uses a related noun to speak of those who will bring offerings to the Lord. In fact, Isaac did not stop praying when Rebekah's womb was not immediately opened. He continued on his knees for 20 years before his wife conceived. Rebecca's piety is also evident during her pregnancy. The twins growing within her struggled or literally smashed together, causing her great discomfort. And so she prays to the Lord in order to find out what's happening in verse 22. Like other believers, Rebecca knows it is a great relief to the mind to spread out our case before the Lord and ask counsel at his mouth, as Matthew Henry says. And the answer God gives Rebecca was likely bewildering. bewildering. Let me say that again. The answer God gives Rebecca was likely bewildering to her at first, for while affirming the promise of many offspring through her sons, it also favors the younger above the elder, as verse 23 says. And clearly he has chosen in a way his older brother is not. And we will explore the ramification of this truth as we continue on throughout the book of Genesis. Now, we need to say that it can be easy for us to get discouraged when we prayed for years and years and years, and it seems that God has not intervened in our situation. We can be tempted to give up interceding for that sick person or that wayward friend when things don't happen. But the example of Isaac and Rebekah shows us that we must persevere in earnest prayer and not lose heart. Stay on your knees for the salvation of souls and for others' needs, for the Lord works in prayer even when we cannot see it. Now, early on, God established the importance of being in the line of those chosen to inherit the promise of salvation. To possess the divine birthright and to be part of the chosen seed was the greatest blessing anyone could hope to achieve. As the firstborn of Isaac and Rebekah, the heir of the Lord's promise, Esau should have clung to his status tenaciously. The birthright of the eldest male child in the ancient Near East conferred upon him the headship of the clan and a double share of the inheritance. How foolish then is I, uh, let me start over. How foolish then is Esau to reject the prize and redemption when he sells his birthright to for stew? Let me say that again. How foolish then is Esau to reject this prize and redemption when he sells his birthright for Sue. Now in Genesis, tw- uh, let me say this again. Now in Genesis 25, 29 through 34, it depicts Esau as a man who lives only for the moment and does not take the cost of his decisions into account. He stumbles into Jacob's tent, exhausted and looking for food. And Esau even says that he is at death's door. And while his actions do not substantiate his exaggerated claim, Jacob should not have taken advantage of him. And still, Esau shows just how unthoughtful he is. And surely he is aware of the wonderful promises made to Abraham that could have been his if by faith he did not place his temporary hunger pains over the eternal satisfaction tied to his birthright. And yet Esau still lets his belly entice him away from life in God's presence. And therefore, Mo- Moses rightly adds, Esau despised his birthright in verse 34. 
John Calvin says it would have been his true wisdom rather to undergo a thousand deaths to renounce his birthright, which so far from being confined within the narrow limits of one age alone, was capable of transmitting the perpetuity of a heavenly life to his posterity, posterity also. And having been passed over by the Lord, Isaac's eldest son remains in his sin and cut off from salvation. And yet Jacob begins rising to the place of privilege, taking the place of his brother in order to secure Esau's birthright. The Hebrew of this passage shows us Jacob's cunning act was premeditated and will lead to much strife before he learns the error of his cleverness. And yet, though God did not endorse the way in which Jacob laid down his, hid the claim of his inheritance, he uses it nonetheless to make his word to Rebekah come true in Genesis twenty-five twenty-three, Matthew Henry comments, the gratifying of the sensual appetite is that which runs thousand. Let me say this again. Matthew Henry says, The gratifying of the sensual appetite is that which ruins thousands of precious souls. You see, if we claim to be in Christ, we must be on guard, lest the lust of the flesh become settled in our hearts and give birth to death, thereby revealing our profession of faith to be false. Consider where you are apt to be most tempted to despise your own birthright through sin and seek accountability to overcome your sinful appetites. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is January 25th, and today we've looked at Genesis 25. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you.